you have a Bible with you, you can open it to Psalm 87. The text is also printed in the next page of the bulletin for you. We've been going through the Psalms, um, not every single one, but maybe a third of them in total by the end of the series. Um, So we're several months into a series through the Psalms. Psalm 87, the more more time we spend in the Psalms, the more uh, that I'm personally becoming more familiar with uh, the Psalms, the more I'm coming to realize how often they celebrate the community of God's people. Actually, there's a a lot of Psalms about God's people coming together and worshiping together and fellowshipping together. And so um, the Psalms really do celebrate the community of God's people uh, quite a bit. the scriptures are always talking about this community. The community that we have here, the church, the community that we look forward to with God and with one another in heaven or in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, the scriptures are always talking about this community as the goal of our salvation. The goal of our salvation, or, or in this world, it's sort of the manifestation of um, our, our salvation. We are saved from absolute rejection. Ultimately, God's rejection and the rejection that we... Uh, have with one another that we're saved from that we're saved from absolute rejection we're saved from utter isolation we're saved into true communion real relationship uh real fellowship everlasting fellowship we're saved into a a new citizenship in the city of god is one way that the scriptures talk about it so citizenship has always been an important idea the world over uh, throughout history whether you're talking about ancient Israel or ancient Rome or modern America, the idea of citizenship um, is important. Citizenship has its privileges, has its benefits, things that are very important to uh, citizenship in a a particular place or country or kingdom. Um, For example, some of the legal benefits of being an American citizen are that you have the right to vote and you're eligible for public office. Uh, You can get a passport and travel to foreign countries. Um, You have the right to not be deported. Uh, Maybe some of these sound pretty basic. Like None of us have ever felt the threat of being deported. Um, But they're they're very important to us. And non-citizens who are living among us uh, can often feel the the distinction between citizens and non-citizens. They feel that distinction very sharply. So citizenship is important. Your identity is connected to your citizenship. And that provides a sense of belonging with a group of people. It provides a sense of security for you and for your children who are born citizens of your country, even if they happen to be born abroad while you're sojourning in a foreign land. They're still citizens um, of, of your home country. And our psalm this morning, Psalm 87, is a very early celebration of what Paul later in the New Testament recognizes as our citizenship in heaven. Psalm 87 is a very early celebration of that that thing that Paul sees as citizenship in heaven. We belong to uh, what is called here the city of God, our identity is connected to it. It comes with certain privileges that are worth celebrating. And all of this is true by birthright. By birthright, even though none of us have set foot in that city. So, 
This new citizenship is a thing full of wonder. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read Psalm 87. <clears throat> Father, we ask that you would help us, send your Holy Spirit to help us as we read your word, as we consider it together. We pray that you would illuminate it for us, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free, that we would know your grace and your love, and that we'd be changed into the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the city of God, what is this city of God and where is it? Uh, the sons of Korah, who wrote this psalm uh, probably like 3,000 years ago-ish, uh, they wrote it about Jerusalem, the very literal, specific place with, um, with global coordinates that you can find. They wrote it about Jerusalem. It's built on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is, uh, I'm not sure it would qualify as a mountain around here for us. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's an unremarkable hill in Judea. Um, but this place, this place that was chosen by God and that was dwelt in by God with his people, this place would be the center of religion in Israel. It would be the site of the great temple. It would be the center of the king's power and the center of Jewish culture uh, for centuries. For centuries it, it has been. And, uh, <clears throat> but the sons of Korah wrote this psalm. Not, I, I think you can tell there are indications in this psalm itself. Uh, they, they wrote it about a future city. It's a, it's a city that's still coming into the world. And it's one that had been founded by God, it says in verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. It already exists. But it's one that he's continuing to establish, it says in verse 5, which is like future language, right? Um, the Most High himself will establish her. Um, so, as you come to know this psalm you realize it's more about the who that it's talking about, the who of the city, than it is the where of the city. And that's the most important thing about cities, isn't it? Um, it's the people. It's the people in the city. That's the most important thing. That's why it's a city. It's because there's people there, lots of people. <clears throat> and so Derek Kidner is a commentator on the Psalms. He says about this that Zion, uh, it's the city of God, Zion gives its name to a community, not only a place. To a community, not only a place. And it's the particular makeup of this community of people that makes the city of God so wonderful. Um, ultimately, the city of God is a heavenly community. It's a heavenly community whose citizens come from all over the world, not just one specific place. So uh, let's start at the beginning, work our way through the psalm, and see what that means. The first thing that the psalmist sings about, about the city of God, 
is that it exists because of God. Uh, most cities in the world, maybe even all cities in the world, exist because men dreamed them up and men planned them and men build, built them. Uh, but this city exists because of God. It says, on, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. <clears throat> the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, the God who's made himself known to specific people, to a family, but to all peoples of the earth, but especially through uh, <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the people of Israel, this God who's made himself known to them and through their holy scriptures, the one true God of all the earth, founded this city. This city exists because he is who he is. The city exists because he wanted it to exist. The city exists because he made it. And he loves it, it says. He loves this city. He doesn't just love the idea of it. He loves the reality of it, the reality that he has already begun to bring about and that he is continuing to bring about by his grace. God loves his city. He loves the city of God. Actually, to be precise, the psalm says he loves its gates. Its gates. And that's fantastic. What are the gates of the city for? I mean, in today's gated communities, <clears throat> the gates are for pe uh, keeping people out. Keeping others out who don't belong there. That's why gates are there. But it was different in the ancient world when cities had walls. The walls were for keeping people out. Keeping hostile forces out. Keeping the people inside safe. That's what the walls were for. The gates allow people to enter. The gates allow people to, to come and go. <clears throat> They're for letting people in, in particular. They're for access to the city. And that's what God loves. That's what it says God loves. People coming into the city people entering into the community of God and of his people from the outside. So this is the vision of the city of God all the way through the scriptures at the very end of the, the Bible. Uh, the apostle John has a vision of this city. He sees the heavenly city. It's, it's the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. <clears throat> and he describes its gates in uh, quite a lot of detail. It says in Revelation 21, an, an angel showed him the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, from God, that's its origin, having the glory of God. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, 12 gates, not just one, like you might think in a heavily fortified city, it has one gate to limit the access. This has 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, there were three gates, on the north, there were three gates. On the south and on the west, each of them three gates. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. And if you have in mind the dimensions of this city, they're just unfathomably big pearls. <laughs> these, these gates must be made from. <clears throat> right. Um, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. Uh, each of the gates made of a single pearl. By the light of the glory of God will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut. It's for access. But it says in verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter the city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So you've got 12 massive gates, <clears throat> three on each side, always open. It symbolizes an abundance 
of access to the city. And the gates, each being made of single giant pearls, symbolizes their unimaginable beauty, these gates. They're so beautiful, and ultimately beautiful and precious to God. God loves the gates of his city more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Nothing delights him more than people coming into his city. Nothing delights him more than people coming into the community of his people who are chosen as his special possession. And that speaks volumes about what God is like. Just these couple verses that we've looked at so far speak volumes about what God is like. The triune God of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this one God who exists in perfect relationship, he is delighted to see all kinds of people streaming into his city, into his community for relationship with him and with one another. He's delighted to open his community to you, to open his city to you, to open himself to you. He's delighted to bring you in and give you a home with him among his people. And so it says in verse 3, Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Glorious things. This doesn't just mean that the city of God, as you see it throughout all the scriptures, is so impressive, it's so wonderful, that all kinds of people everywhere just can't stop talking about it, like I'm talking about it right now. We're just gushing about it. That's true, of course. But in this psalm, it means something very specific, that glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Who is it who's speaking in the very next verse? It's God. God is the one who speaks glorious things about his city. He loves to talk about it more than anyone. God loves to talk about his city. This is the word of God. The Psalms are the word of God. The Psalms that are always talking about God's community. That's God. Always talking about his city, always talking about his community. And this is what he delights to say about his city. Verse 4. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush. So he's mentioning, this is not an exhaustive list, he's mentioning a representative list of nations, a sampling of nations. So Rahab, the first one that he talks about, it's, uh, it's not Rahab the harlot that you might be thinking of from the book of Joshua, it's uh, in the Old Testament several times Rahab refers to a mythological sea monster, a monster from the sea. The Gentiles is pictured with the sea, a monster from the sea. It's poetically linked in Isaiah to the nation of Egypt in particular. Egypt is that old, that old seductive place that Israel wants to keep going back to for safety and for food and for sustenance and for life. Israel wants to keep going back to Egypt, so it's that old seductive enemy that enslaves Israel when they come. Enslaves Israel for centuries. That terrible monster, Egypt. Babylon is that most terrible enemy that crushes and conquers everybody in the whole world. Philistia is that enemy, it's within Israel's territories, and they can never seem to be rid of them. Always this nagging presence of their enemies that they're always fighting. Tyre, the wealthy neighbors in the north, 
Cush is Ethiopia, and that, that symbolizes, uh, it's the distant nations, the distant nations, really far, the other side of Egypt, which is really, really far in the ancient world. And, um, and so they're the exotic distant nations, the mysterious distant nations, people who are very different from us. And I can't help but imagine um, Jonah, the nationalistic prophet, reading this psalm, hating every word. What do you mean Babylon? <clears throat> God's talking about foreigners. <clears throat> God's talking about outsiders from distant lands. God's talking about people with different skin color, who speak different languages. He's talking about actual enemies. We have experienced them as enemies and oppressors of his people. There's been real conflict God's talking about people who barely know their Bibles at all. God's talking about people who have previously demonstrated antagonism to God and antagonism to God's people. And God isn't just saying they're coming for a visit. He's not just saying that, oh, they're coming to stay a while or they're coming for a bit of tourism before they go home. He says, I mention Rahab, Egypt, and Babylon, behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush, Ethiopia. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the, the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. So God is saying that this Egyptian here, this Babylonian there, this Philistine, this Tyrian, this Ethiopian, this Greek, this Roman, this Chinese, this American, this Mexican, this Indian, this Persian, this one and that one were born in Zion. They were born in the city of God. That's what God says. God is speaking glorious things of his city when he sings this song and he celebrates the fact that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are full citizens of his heavenly community by birthright. He's recorded their names in his register. He has written their names in his book of life, you see in Revelation 21. This is, this is the only way people like us can belong to his city, to his heavenly community. Because he says, again, from Revelation 21, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor does anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life is God's eternal register. It's where he keeps all your birth certificates. Which only the Lamb who was slain is worthy to open and to read aloud. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, and of him it is sung in heaven. Even now this is Revelation chapter 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So it's through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, come into the world, took on human flesh, lived a perfect human life, went to the cross, atoned for our sins. He has cleansed us from everything that is detestable and false, which would prevent us from entering the city of God. 
He's cleansed us by his blood. He's redeemed us. He's ransomed us from all over the whole world. He's reconciled us all, even though we were enemies of God and enemies of one another and all estranged from one another. And he's made us all citizens of this heavenly community, this city of God. So Paul writes about these themes. He writes in Galatians 4 that the Jerusalem above, the city of God, the heavenly community that's coming down from God out of heaven, the Jerusalem above is our mother. She's the one who gave us birth. And in Philippians 3, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship, that word, I won't bore you with the Greek word, but it, it basically, the root of it is the word for city. Right? It's this, the, the people who belong to the city. So our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. Even though your earthly passport says whatever it says, doesn't say Israel on it, probably. Even though you've probably never set foot in the Middle East, let alone Jerusalem, that place on Mount Zion, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you were born into the city of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by his second birth, you were born again into the city of God. You have all the rights and privileges, therefore, of a citizen of God's heavenly city. This citizenship, doesn't matter what color your skin is, what language you speak, what nation on the earth you hold an earthly citizenship or passport or whatever, this citizenship in heaven establishes your true identity. You belong there. Your security is there. No one can deport you from there because it's your place of birth. It's your place of birth through the Holy Spirit. You have the right to call the city of God your home city. It's my home city. You have that right just as much as any other citizen of that city, including Jesus Christ himself. That's the right that's been given to you through your birth, through the Holy Spirit. I mean, <clears throat> I was born in Portland, uh, which comes with certain bragging rights. Um, but when I was born again, use that language from John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, when I was born again through the Holy Spirit, when you were born of the Holy Spirit because your name was written in God's book of life, because he keeps your spiritual birth certificate there, he's recorded and registered it, when you believed in the cleansing power of Jesus' blood and were born again through the Holy Spirit, you were born into a new citizenship in the city of God. And the greatest privilege, the greatest privilege of this citizenship, the first thing, the best thing, the most glorious thing that God has to say about this, God himself has to say about those who were born anew in his city, is that we know God. That's the best thing. That's the thing that God talks about, is we know God. He says in verse 4, among those who know me. I mention people from all these nations that were born into my city. The greatest part about being a citizen of heaven, of the city of God, is knowing God. The most glorious thing that can be said about those who belong to the city of God is that we know the God who has founded this city. We know him. We know what it's like. We know the God who has spoken of the wonders of this city, who sings of the wonders and celebrates the glory of this city. 
we know the God who is establishing this heavenly community and opening himself up to be known by even people like us. People who really don't deserve to be able to know God. <clears throat> we were outsiders. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. We were enemies. And we were adopted as sons and daughters of Zion. We were without God in the world. And now God says that we know him. God says that we know him. This isn't just some boastful claim that we're making for ourselves. We're better than everybody else because we know God as if we came to that knowledge on our own. God is the one who says that we know him. When we know him and we trust him in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. And this is what God loves best about his community and delights to talk about when people come in and get to know him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he loves to talk about best. The more you come to know God, this God, the more you love what God loves. The more you celebrate the things God celebrates, the more you proclaim the glorious things that God himself is proclaiming. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you, in this city. This is where all my, my life, my vigor, my excitement, my joy comes from. There's an eternal city where you belong, where you really belong by the grace of God. There's an eternal city, a city of evergreen freshness and joy. Life in this city is everlasting because it means knowing the eternal God, the one true God. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And that means a relationship that will last forever. And so that everlasting life, that eternal life, characterizes life in his city. The city is about its citizens, primarily. Not just about a place or the buildings. The city is about its citizens. It's an innumerable multitude of all kinds of people, all kinds, living in true reconciliation to God and to one another, living in true love, living in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This city is coming down out of heaven from God. It's coming to earth. And one day in the future, it's going to arrive. It's going to leap onto the scene and change everything. And our, our current faith knowledge of God will become sight knowledge of God. And God loves the fact that the gates of this city are thrown wide open right now. He can't stop talking about it. And he says, you may come and enter his city. You should come and enter his city and know him through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, these are remarkable privileges that uh, it seems like maybe we've heard about before uh, many times, even those of us who have been Christians for many years, and yet that are always startling for us to consider, and we pray that they always will be. They'll always be a wondrous and glorious surprise to hear about uh, who you are, what you're like, the things you love, uh, the things you delight to speak about, and to recognize that um, the things you love and delight to speak about are, are us when we're gathered together around Jesus Christ and, and in your spirit, born into your city, that we live with you and dwell with you and with one another. And that um, we're people like you who are excited about inviting other people into your city. And uh, in the, the ways that we're not excited, in the ways that we're 
um, like that unfortunate prophet Jonah, uh, uh, protective of our own rights and jealous of them and exclusive. We pray that you would eradicate those things in our hearts, those detestable and false things, that you would uh, apply the gospel, the blood of your son Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit to us in ways that uh, renew our excitement, our joy, and the freshness of what it means to, to be with you where you are and among your people and in real community and true love and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We pray that these things would excite us in such ways that um, we would delight, just as you do, to speak of your city and to commend it and, uh, and invite our friends to enter into it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.